Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of the Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 550. To those the tumblers used in my troop when I was young, after 15 minutes of twisting himself this way and that, he began his slow, dance-like pantomime. Though I didn't know it at the time, it was called the Katan. Still nettled about Tempe's barbarians cannot learn comment, I decided I would follow along. After all, I didn't have anything better to do. As I tried to mimic him, as I tried to mimic him, I became aware of how devilishly complex it was, keeping the hands cupped just so, the feet correctly positioned. Despite the fact that Tempe moved with almost glacial slowness, I found it impossible to imitate his smooth grace. Tempe never paused or looked in my direction. He never offered a word of encouragement or advice. It was exhausting, and I was glad when it was over. Then I started the fire and lashed together a tripod. Wordlessly, Tempe brought out a hard sausage and several potatoes that he began to peel carefully using his sword. I was surprised by this as Tempe fucked over his sword much the same way I did with my loot. Once when Dayton had picked it up, the Adam had responded with a rather dramatic emotional outburst. Dramatic for Tempe, that is. He'd spoken two full sentences and frowned a bit. Tempe saw me watching him and cocked his head curiously. I pointed. Sword? I asked, for cutting potatoes. Tempe looked down at the half-peeled potato in one hand, his sword in another. He's sharp, he shrugged. He's clean. I returned the shrug, not wanting to make an issue of it. While working together, I learned the words for iron, knot, leaf, spark, and salt. Waiting for the water to boil, Tempe stood, shook himself, and began his limbering stretches a second time. I followed him again. It was harder this time. The muscles of my arms and legs were loose and shaky from my previous effort. Toward the end, I had to fight to keep myself from trembling, but I gleaned a few more secrets. Tempe continued to ignore me, but I didn't mind. I've always been drawn to a challenge. That's the page and the chapter. My name's Nick, and my voice is a slightly higher register and has a slightly more nasal quality than Jeremy's. I'm Jordana, and my voice is higher than both of yours. I'm Jeremy. I'm a turtle. (laughs) Good. Now it's settled once and for all. I'm the one who sounds like this. Jeremy is the one who sounds like that. And Jordana is the third one. (laughs) When Foth is following Tempe's routine, that strikes me as verisimilitudinous because I think we all know someone who has like a physical skill or an athletic skill that they make look effortless and easy and if you try to do it you realize just how difficult and uh and what good exercise it actually is you know i don't know anyone who does tai chi but i am certain that if i tried to do tai chi i would be a sweaty mess within like 30 minutes because uh you have to you have to work real hard to become one of those insanely fit like 60 year old chinese grannies doing tai chi in the park and making it look like no big thing well i want to stress that the there tai chi is a martial art and there are you know tai chi masters who are as strong and deadly as you know as a bruce lee um the ones you see in the park are <laughs> i'm sure the grannies are also beautiful and deadly but i do want to talk about uh what Tempe's letting Quoth follow along in the K-10 means we eventually learn that Tempe's teaching Quoth the K-10 is a huge violation. And I think that Tempe, prior to this interaction that, that he's had, Quoth has spent the afternoon learning the language and Tempe is probably very grateful, uh, which is why he doesn't nix this at all. 
Uh, he's probably like very grateful and very actually kind of glad that Kvothe is taking an interest. And he's also probably glad and like maybe intrigued that Kvothe is, is, um, is falling on the Katen, but he ignores him, right? He doesn't, he doesn't check his form. He doesn't correct him. He doesn't train him. He's explicitly going, I'm going to ignore you and maybe pretend that I don't see you following along with me, even though he probably is actually kind of grateful for it because it's actually a huge violation to be teaching this to a Mm -hmm. barbarian. It kind of gives him plausible deniability too, right? Like until he concludes that teaching Quoth is, is like maybe like of the Lothani after all, you know, if he like encountered another Adem tomorrow and the Adem saw Quoth practicing the Catan, Tempe could be like, I didn't teach him that. I don't know where he picked that up. I, I, he, he was just copying me, but like, I didn't teach him any of that. That's right. So we can all agree that uh, at this point, Quoth is not yet a settler of Catan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you should be. It's funny. I, I have to say <laughs> that the one thing, I know that there's going to be an explanation for it later on, but I, the fact that, that Tempe te- treats his sword as just like a tool and uses it for peeling potatoes just really grinds my gears. It rubs me the wrong way. It's, it's one, one off note in this otherwise very well realized ADM culture. I, I just don't buy the, the, the explanation for it that Rothfuss gives later on. It just strikes me as like a weird thing to do. And certainly nobody uh, I know who, who owns a sword would ever dream of doing that. It's also just like, impractical like if you could try and imagine what peeling a potato with like a three foot long sword would be like like it's unwieldy yeah that seems not like the greatest tool for the job well not to get all heidegger here but i guess it's it's that hand right like the the appeal of it is that wouldn't a dagger be better someone's got to have a dagger at hand yeah but as an Adam mercenary you probably aren't fighting with with a dagger you probably have your sword and maybe that's it like they're not strapped they're not all like strapped with weapons right they get their one sword and that's what they get it sticks with them throughout so i think that it's it's part of the necessity and it's also part of like the very practical way that the adam go through life they have a sword it's sharp they keep it clean it's not just for killing people it's also for whatever it is you need to do whatever you need a sharp clean thing for yeah i just don't buy that explanation especially because in a pre-modern society like everybody had a knife on them because precisely because it was a useful tool that you would use for all kinds of things in your daily life. Whereas a sword is a much more specialized tool. That's really only good for one thing. Mm. Reasonable. I guess, I guess the, the way that you could rationalize it, the way it might make sense is if, if the Adam treat their swords, the way that people in like the Philippines or other places with thick jungle treat the machete which is as a tool first and a weapon of com- of like personal combat second. But that doesn't really jibe with my understanding of Adam Ademra as like a warrior culture. So I don't know. Meh. I'm not bothered either way. You're just constantly unbothered, moisturized in your lane, flourishing. <laughs> Thanks. Girl bossing. Gaslighting, gatekeeping, <laughs> curl bossing. Wait, I am not gaslighting anyone. <laughs> I work very hard not to gaslight people. That's just what a gaslighter would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By telling me that, you are gaslighting me, Jordana. Wow, what? <laughs> I don't understand. And Jeremy, by by us doing this bit, we are gaslighting her. I was like, wait her. a minute. We're, we're, we're just a gaslighting Ouroboros, aren't we? 
Yeah, I was going to say, if anybody is the gaslighter here, it is definitely not me. Well, have you thought about maybe, like, it's not that we're gaslighting you, but actually you're gaslighting us, Jordana. No. Okay, well, okay. I, I, I don't enough. need to think about that because I know that it's not true. <laughs> uh... Well, it's the end of a chapter. And unless you've got notes, this chapter was called Barbarians because children are barbarians. Yeah. And Quoth learns what barbarians are, are mm. um, what, what they are, and that this concept becomes important, or at least like is sort of central to uh, Quoth's journey of acceptance among yeah, the Yeah, exactly. So it's an important concept. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, you could argue that Quoth has taken his first steps in becoming civilized, according to the Adem, by trying to learn their language, by learning the the the, the gesture emotion and by starting to learn the Catan. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I don't know, interesting. I don't know. It's just, it's, it is a thought that the ADEM have no delusions of empire. I think a lot of times when you have in fiction or in real life, a culture that considers themselves superior to others, uh, they often have designs on like conquering or on assimilating other cultures. And the ADEM seem to have no interest in that, which is, Interesting. And I don't want to say this definitively because it's been a while since I've read this book and we haven't got to the, the real meat of the Adem subject matter yet. But my understanding of it is that the Adem are so arrogant that it would not be worth it to them to like colonize or conquer the, uh, the barbarian cultures because that would just pollute them. In dealing with the barbarians any more than they already do, they would become exposed to their barbarian ways and become less civilized. So what you're saying is they're thriving in their lane. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what he's saying. Well done. I, I do think that they have some kind of connection to the supernatural or to the secret history of the world. And that's kind of why they are the way they are. That's why they're so xenophobic. But I think you're right, Jeremy, that that's part of why they aren't interested in, in colonizing because they, they have a secret. We have a letter from Scarpy's left nostril who writes on page 523, Big Unit Energy. Hi, Pagers. It's been nice to hear episodes of the show again. I write in response to the excellent discussion on page 523. It all started with Tempe learning about Miles and brought up something that I've been thinking about for a long time in relation to world building and fiction. One of you said that Rothfuss used Miles because readers would be more familiar with this unit, and this is reasonable, said in Jordana's voice. I'd like to present a counterpoint and would like to hear what others think. Here goes. Whenever Rothfuss and other authors can do to invent new systems of reckoning time or inventing whole new currencies, etc., can only make the worlds they are building richer. When they use feet or inches or kilograms or whatever else, Bell is broken a little bit, for me at least. Why not cool new units to suit Temerant? They could be based on Telu's armpits or the weight of the mayor's ego. Even better, make leagues great again. May Hespi never pick her teeth in front of you, signed Scarpy's left nostril. My response to that is that you need to pick your nonsense words very carefully. I think that they have the nonsense currency and Rothfuss does a lot of work to, to teach us the relative value of currencies. And I think that if he's also throwing in nonsense units of measurement along with all the other nonsense fantasy stuff, uh, it gets a little hard to follow. It turns into uh, Skyrim or uh, well, actually I don't want to throw aspersions on Robert Jordan because I've never read Robert Jordan, but uh, I do know that I find uh, Bethesda's games exhausting because there's so many nonsense words thrown at you all the time. Yeah, I feel like 
when you're doing any kind of secondary world building, whether it's science fiction or fantasy, you have to strike a balance between introducing new ideas and and concepts and making your your secondary world feel fresh and original and plausibly different while also having it be relatable enough that that your reader can ground themselves in it and find things to latch onto and relate to and not just become hopelessly lost. And I I have also had the experience of trying I've had experiences on both sides of the coin where I've read books where I'm like this fantasy world is just the real world and you've changed some the names of some places. And I've had other ones where I read like this fantasy world is incomprehensible to me because you just threw half a page of words that have apostrophes in them that I have never seen before. And I don't understand what any of them mean or, or what I'm supposed to glean from it. And for me, I think Rothfuss strikes that balance really well. And as we talked about on previous episodes, I think something that he does super well to make his world feel alive and different without swapping in different kinds of units of measurement for things is having cultures with with plausibly different philosophies and languages and like ways of approaching the world. And I think that both the Ademara and the Adem are great examples of that. I'm and I'm not saying that like different units of measurements can't be good world building tools because I think that Rothfuss's obsession with numismatics actually does provide like some compelling world building details. But I agree with Nick that like, if he did it for every little thing, it would become insufferable and it would make your reading experience worse because you wouldn't be able to tell what anything was in relation to anything else. Yes. I have uh, nothing to add. (laughs) That said, I do like when uh, Rothfuss does this occasionally where he will like have an in universe explanation for why the word uh, of something is, is the way it is. Like when he explains what, the origin of the word lackey is mm-hmm. in universe. So who knows? Maybe there is a reason that miles are called miles and we just haven't encountered it yet. They're named after time traveling space unionist, miles, Edward O'Brien. <laughs> that's yes. That's it. Long suffering space, uh, workers, worker, miles O'Brien, who is also, let us not forget a, uh, time paradox clone of himself, the prime version of him, who of course is dead who has also lived multiple lifetimes because he has on more than one occasion become trapped in a false reality uh, and lived and died. (laughs) Yeah. Tormented in an alien prison for 20 years, Uh, you know, put through like an insane, like Cardassian trial. He's had a time. Miles O'Brien has had a time. It is is fun to watch. There's especially a deep space nine. There's like oftentimes stretches of episodes, like six episodes or more at a time where every single one involves the, the like epistemological torment of Miles (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien. Listeners tune in tomorrow for the passion of Miles O'Brien on page. Uh, The, Way. Way.